Hi everyone, welcome to the Contributors Channel. If you wanna know how Robert Downey Jr. became an Iron Man and how to develop your own secret story, have more influence and make much more money, my today's guest is a Pulitzer Prize-nominated storyteller. His new book is his 21st bestseller. He has shared the stage with Martha Stewart, Dr. Oz, Susan Summers, Caitlyn Jenner, Ice-T, and five presidents of the United States at Harvard, Cambridge, Oxford, London Stock Exchange, Nasdaq, and Carnegie Hall. Please welcome my guest, Pulitzer Prize-nominated storyteller, Clint Arthur. Hi, Clint. Welcome to the Contributors Channel. Hey, great to be with you, Victor. Awesome. Clint, I heard that you went to junior high school with Robert Downey Jr. and then your life crisscrossed against with his much later through your wife. By the way, I love how much respect you show for your wife in uh, the book. It's really wonderful. Could you tell Thank us you. what you learned from Iron Man and Sherlock Holmes? Well, when we were little kids, we were in eighth grade together and he was the star of the first school play, which was Hair. And I was Tony in West Side Story. And so because we were both stars of the plays, we became friends. And he and I went to the movies. His dad was a movie director named Robert Downey Sr. and comes out with a Marlboro red package of cigarettes. And he lights a cigarette and then he holds up the package of cigarettes right next to his head and crushes the whole brand new package of cigarettes and throws it on the ground. And I look at him like that and he's like, I just wanted one. So he had a lot of willpower, but you know, everybody knows the story of Robert Downey Jr. He got in a lot of trouble with drugs. He went to jail. So willpower can only take you so far when you're dealing with powerful forces like drugs and alcohol. So then intersects with my wife because after he gets out of jail, he gets a job on a movie hired by a producer named Susan Levine. Susan Levine had previously worked for my wife. When the production companies in Hollywood have scripts that they are considering buying or making into movies, they have a person called the development person reading the scripts and mostly saying why the scripts suck. And Susan Levine had been the development person for my wife's company when my wife was the president of this production company in Hollywood. And Susan Levine hired Robert Downey Jr. and she turned him into Sherlock Holmes. She turned him into Iron Man and she turned him into her husband. And, you know, it really shows you how important it is. Now, you know, like during my 13 years of chasing the Hollywood dream, I had a fiance, I had a baby daughter, and I became a taxi driver. And my fiance said, I don't need, I don't need you. You're like a weight around my neck. Get out. And that was a huge relief for me because I was like a mule in the traces. You know, I was just working, driving a cab to pay for her agenda and diapers and all this stuff. Stuff, and I still had child support to pay, but at least I had my freedom. And then I met my, my wife, the woman who I'm married to today. We've been together more than 20 years. And, you know, when you're with the right person, it's like you're on an express train. And when you're with the wrong person, it's like you're in prison. And Robert Downey Jr., meeting his wife, Susan Levine, made him a superhero, literally. 
So the lesson of Robert Downey Jr. and of my life is you really got to be careful about who you're sleeping with every single night. If, if you're sleeping with the person who believes in you and supports you and encourages you, that's great. And if you're not, then that is going to ruin your life. That's for sure. Totally agree. Clint, in your book, you talk about how you work with Brooke Shields on the Today Show and how you learn how to harness the power of fear and use fear kind of a, like a divine road for success. Could you give us some details on this? What do you mean by that? When I was on the Today Show, Brooke Shields said, you know, you talk a lot about being comfortable outside of your comfort zone. And I said, yeah, life begins where your comfort zone ends. And she said, that sounds scary. And I said, when it's scary is when it's great. And that's one of the things I love about going on TV. You get to be really present in the moment, like just speaking from your real knowledge. And what I found is that when it is scary is when it's really great. When, when the pandemic hit, my wife and I decided to do quarantining at a luxury resort in Acapulco, Mexico, our favorite vacation spot, instead of going back to our apartment in Midtown Manhattan. And then as it continued to stretch on, I decided instead of returning to America, we would just rent a house in Acapulco. And the night before we moved into the first house, I was really, really scared because the house I rented for, us didn't even have a front door. It was an outdoor living room and an outdoor dining room. You just walk right up the steps and through the garden and there you are. And there's no locks on the doors really. It was not, not a high security house per se, except for the fact that we're in a very high security neighborhood. And if I could have gotten my money back the night before the rental began on that house, I would have. I looked up, can you buy a gun? In Mexico, how do you buy a gun? You can't buy a gun. If they catch you with a gun that doesn't have a special permit from the army, they throw you in jail. A lot of American hunters have found that lesson out the hard way. But when we walked into the house the first day, we looked out over the view and the pool and the garden, the outdoor living room. My wife and I looked at each other and we're like, what the heck have we been doing in that hotel all these years? We should have been renting villas. And that became uh, a clear indication for me about how, you know, I was so scared the night before, but when we walked through the fear, when we got to the other side of the fear, then that was like my favorite quote from General George Patton, accept the challenges so that you can feel the exhilaration of victory because that's how you really come alive. That's amazing. Clint, you had a very scary experience in the Las, in Las Vegas, mass shooting, remember, like several years ago near Mandalay yeah. Bay. Tell that us was about the night this. I met Mike Tyson. That was the night this I met. This is where you met, right? So what you learn from it? Well, I was at this show, right? The way, the way it worked was I've been working in Vegas for a long time and I, I arranged to go to Mike Tyson's one-man show and then we were going to meet Mike Tyson afterwards. And at the end of the show, the manager of the club comes out and he goes, I'm, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone remain calm and remain in your seats. We've been informed there's an active shooter on the strip right now. That's all we know. He's not in this building. And the safest place for you right now is just to remain in your seats and we'll notify you more when we know more. And like, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, holy cow, are we going to be safe here? Are we going to be sitting ducks? What if the shooter comes in with AR-15s and like shoots up the whole room? What should we do? We're sitting there sweating, sweating, sweating. And then like 30 minutes, the guy says, okay, we know now that the active shooter event has been contained or is stopped. If you want to leave here, you can leave. And I'm there with my wife and a whole bunch of my celebrity clients. And I said, everybody follow me because I've been working in Vegas for many, many years. And I knew every back hallway and alleyway in every hotel because I'm a, I've been selling gourmet food to the casinos and hotels for decades. 
So I said, everybody follow me. And I led him out into the back hallways of the MGM Grand. And I knew exactly how to get to the back self-parking lot and how to go through the parking lot out to the main street, Coval Lane. And I walked everybody over to the Hard Rock Hotel and we sat there drinking milkshakes and eating hamburgers until two o'clock in the morning when it was okay to go back to our hotels on the strip. And, you know, it really makes you feel grateful to be alive. It really makes you feel the exhilaration of walking through the fear because I'll tell you what, that was one of the best trainings I ever did that weekend was everybody got in, in very intense results because we were so alive because we knew what had happened and we knew that we were all lucky to be alive and, you know, keeps you humble. Another way to keep you humble. Yeah, to appreciate what you've got, the gift of life, which we all have. This is amazing. For Pulitzer Prize nominated person who has met every single famous celebrity in the world and five U.S. presidents, you seem very humble. What keeps your feet on the ground? Well, when I met Mike Tyson, I said, champ, what's the most important thing you ever learned? He said, stay humble. And then really? when I met Caitlyn Jenner, you know, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, I asked Caitlyn, what's the most important thing she ever learned? And she said, stay humble. And, you know, a lot of people think that celebrity and hanging out with celebrities and going on TV and speaking at famous places like Carnegie Hall is about your ego. It's really not about ego at all. All the stuff that I do is something that I call marketing. It's just ways that I use to position myself as a high status expert in the things that I know to draw attention to myself so that people look at me. But I'm the same person I've always been in my whole life. I'm, I really don't feel very much different. I, I feel older. I feel more mature. I feel like I've learned and experienced a lot more stuff. But as far as my ego is concerned, I, I don't consider myself anything special. I'm just a regular guy who has decided that I'm going to use celebrity type marketing to help people to pay attention to what I'm trying to share and so that I can have more impact and influence and income. And that's it. Wow, that's amazing. Clint, in your Pulitzer Prize nominated memoir, Wisdom of the Man, you talk about how you came to realize you are already dead. For anyone who has read your book or listened to the audio version of Audible, you sound very much alive. I am What's alive, but I was uh -huh. at a men's self-help campfire. This is in 2008, in October of 2008. You remember what was going on. The world was falling apart. And what does that look like? A men's self-help campfire is 18 naked guys dancing around a campfire and I'm one of them watching the sky the beautiful stars I see this guy jump over the campfire I noticed he was a very hairy man and then I saw the shaman on the other side of the crackling yellow and orange campfire flames pointing at me you don't know it yet but you're already dead what are you talking about man I'm the most successful guy on this team eight years ago I was driving a taxi now I'm a millionaire I was living on a little boat now I live in a mansion you're already dead you just don't know it and I didn't know what he was talking about. I would wake up out of a sound sleep in the middle of the night for months. I'm already dead. What does he mean? And it came to be New Year's Day of 2009. And I asked myself a question inspired by the shaman. I said, I don't know what it means to already be dead, but what if I was going to die at the end of this year? If this was going to be the last year of my life, what would I want to accomplish? And I was really surprised. I made a list of the things I would want to do. And the first thing I wrote down on the list was I want to write my book about what I learned at the Wharton Business School. Once I started focusing on being a businessman instead of trying to be a movie star and a writer, which is 
why I was a taxi driver and why I was a starving artist for 13 years chasing the Hollywood dream before I gave it all up and quit writing. I quit writing for more than eight years, but I'm a writer. And I, I wrote that book and what I self-published it and I expected that everyone would want to buy it because the Wharton Business School is a big deal. But the first year, only eight people bought copies of what they teach you at the Wharton Business School. Yeah, I mean, it's that's what happens. And I was smart enough to seek out a mentor. And his name was Jack Canfield. He wrote a little book called Chicken Soup for the Soul. And I said, Jack, how do you sell half a billion books? And he says, you got to become somebody kind of famous. You got to go on TV, on radio. People don't buy books from nobodies. They only buy books from somebodies. And that's when I started going on TV. I started booking myself on TV to save money instead of paying the publicist. I would call up TV stations and book myself on these shows. And then my 57th television appearance was on the Today Show with Brooke Shields and Willie Geist. And they said, hey, you know, you ask yourself a great question every year. What's that question? I said, ask yourself if this was going to be the last year of your life, what would you want to accomplish? So that was really a life-changing event. Guys, before we hear the next amazing story, I want to ask you a favor. If you like this interview, please smash the like button, share with your friends, subscribe and hit the bell below to be notified about my new videos. This is part one of the interview. Stay tuned for the part two.